0: to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you for your worship. Thank you to this praise team and music team tonight for leading us. I feel the spirit of the Lord with us tonight. and so glad that you chose to make your best effort to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I'm going to continue with a subject that I started last Wednesday night and I didn't Get nearly as far into it as I had thought that I would. I um, kind of bogged down right at the beginning last night, uh, last week, and um, so I want to, I want to pick up and move along. We started last week talking about the spirit of this age, the spirit of the age in which we live, and how that the spirit of this age. Uh, attempts to undermine everything that has gotten us to where we are. It undermines uh, biblical doctrine. It, it undermines morality. It uh, undermines our core belief and uh, instead turns our attention more to uh, popularity, popular belief. And peer pressure begins to come in. And, of course, we... Uh, we began last week talking about one of the first things that we see that has changed so much in society is that of honor, that we are not honoring others, honoring all men, as the Bible says, honoring our youth was in last week, so I took quite a focus on honoring our parents, uh, honoring those who have rule over us, honoring the king and talked about how honor has a promise attached to it. Remember what that promise is? That your days may be long upon the earth and that it may be well with thee in the land wherein you dwell. And so we opened last week talking about honor and uh, and what honor does and how that the promises of God are attached to uh, attached to honor. And so This week, we're going to pick up with part two of The Spirit of This Age, and I don't want to belabor the points that I made last week, so I want to move us forward, and if we get to the end, uh, so be it. If not, maybe there'll be a part three next week, but we're just going to move along with what we are, are teaching, staying in the subject matter that I feel that the Lord would have us... Uh, teach in. So tonight we're going to read from Philippians the second chapter. We'll be reading other scriptures as well as we did last week. But Philippians chapter two, verses five through seven is going to be the first scripture that I'm going to read. And uh, I should have I didn't last week, and I, I failed to again tonight. I didn't give Brother Mike all of our my scriptures, so he's going to be on the fly tonight as I'm calling scriptures, moving along with us. And so uh, he'll be patient with us, and we'll be patient with with uh, getting it pulled up tonight as as we need those scriptures pulled up. So tonight we're going to begin by talking about um, Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul tells the church um, in Philippi, let this mind, verse 5, let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a serv- of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. So like men, he felt pain, like men, he ate, he hungered, he thirsted. Uh, Like men, he had all the emotions, and as a matter of fact, the Scripture says that he was tempted in all points, like as we are. There is no sin in temptation. For Jesus himself, who had no sin, was tempted in all points, like as we are. So temptation in of itself is not sin. Responding to that temptation, so just because we're tempted to sin... Does not give us a license or a right to sin. So uh, we we understand that Jesus showed us that you could be tempted and yet not fall prey to sin. And so I want to begin tonight by talking to you about accountability uh, of actions. We're gonna talk about our we're gonna talk about accountability and first talk about accountability of actions. And as we begin tonight, talking about accountability, pardon me just for a moment. I want to talk about accountability of actions and the difference between actions and intent because the, the, the spirit of this age would maximize intent over action. This is unbiblical. And uh, here's where we have to be very, very careful. Now, I'm going to tread on some thin, thin ice tonight as I start talking about some things because because just because social media says it's right doesn't make it right. Just because somebody put it in a meme doesn't and it sounds cool, sounds right, and kind of somewhat makes sense does not make it biblical. And so we have to be very careful about, about what we are in agreement with and not in agreement with, and we need to look in the Word of God and see what the Scripture teaches us about those things. And so we start tonight by talking about accountability, and that is holding people accountable for their actions. Accountability of actions is the first thing. We're going to talk about some other areas of accountability, but I want to talk about accountability of actions and uh, and, and, and how the world views actions versus intent and so uh, people can very quickly and very easily say well they, they meant well and so therefore we give them a pass because of good intention. If we're not careful we'll start, we'll start saying a lot of lost people are saved because they were a good person. While the Bible declares, he said to the rich young ruler, who was rich, young, a ruler, of good reputation. And when Jesus, when Jesus talked to him, he said, Oh, I've kept all the commandments. I've done them. I've kept all of them. And Jesus said to him, There's just one thing you lack. And he went away sorrowful. So that means that having part of uh, part of the gospel right, having part of truth in our life is not what God is looking for. He is looking for for right actions, and the word of God holds us accountable, and we must hold ourselves accountable according to the word of God. Let me give you a little exercise tonight, just uh, just to to help. I I don't know, uh, Sister Dana, what's your favorite color? Black. She likes black. Wonderful. I like black too. My wife likes black, and she. She, uh, I think most of the things in her uh, closet are black. And so uh, Sister Dana likes black. And so I'm going to give her a black piece of paper tonight. All right. All right. I'm giving her, everybody agree that this is a black piece of paper? Well, of course it is. It's got black on it right there. See? It's a black piece of paper. Sister Dana likes black. I'm going to give her. Going to give her black. How many of you are in agreement with me? But Here's the problem, Sister Dana. I don't have any black paper. And neither do I have a black marker. So I intended to give you the color that you asked for. But since I didn't have black paper or a black marker, my intention was right. And so I did the best I could with what I had and so I gave you a white piece of paper with a yellow marker that had the word black written on it because that's the closest thing I could. How many of you think I got it right? See, we're talking about the spirit of this age. We're talking about how the world would, would very quickly say, let's give him a pass. How many of you want to give me a pass for that tonight? See, some of you were wanting. to see there's some hands going up because, you know why? Because you like me. Well, I think, I think, I think. I won't ask your wife. <laughs> so you want to give me a pass because you like me, because you want me to do good. You want me to be right. And so therefore you're willing to say, it's because it's you. Now there's other people that I wouldn't give the pass to, but pastor, it's you, so I'll, I'll give the pass. I'll give the pass. Brother Jerry, what color you like? What color? Blue. He likes blue. Wonderful. How do you spell blue? All right, I'm going to give Brother Jerry blue. Can you see that out there? How many of you feel like I'm giving Brother Jerry blue now? See, some of y'all are afraid to vote. Am I doing any better? Brother Jerry, I'm giving you blue tonight. I have, you like blue? Blue? I wrote blue on the paper, but it's not because I wrote blue. He likes blue, so I gave him a blue marker. How many of you believe that's right? See, you're having a hard time judging what I'm doing. How are you going to find fault with me writing blue in blue ink? And some of you right now are just so confused at what point I'm trying to make tonight. Brother Jerry, is that blue? Do you like blue? Did I give you what you liked? It's not blue paper. But it's the best that I could do. So that's, that's the best I could do. So I gave you something blue. Come on, give me a break. How many of you want to be saved? You want to be saved? Some of you are not sure if you want to be saved or not? How many of you want to be saved? Well, let me help you out. I'm going to give you some passes tonight, all right? Saved? You want to be saved, Brother Dan? Brother Dan's saved. Anybody else want to be saved? Anybody else want to be saved? saved? Now I'm sorry, I intended to give you I intended to give you, you wanted to be saved. I intended to I intended to give you a saved paper as well. but the problem is I only had two saved papers and somebody had to get the lost paper. So I had good intentions. All right so so my point my point that I'm trying to make tonight is that the world, the spirit of the age, Has a tendency to judge people on intent. And we start making, now, first of all, just because hands went up saying they want to be saved, and I gave Brother Dan a piece of paper, how many of you believe that that made Dan saved? Have I completely lost my congregation tonight? I'm afraid my congregation thinks I've completely lost my mind tonight. How many of you think because I gave Dan a piece of paper, that said saved, it makes him saved? He wants to be saved, so does that make him saved? Because he wants to be saved and because I gave him a saved pass. And I am the pastor here, so does that make him saved? Because he wants to be saved and I gave him. See, it does not matter That he just wants to be saved and that I want him to be saved and that I gave him a saved past. The issue is, Brother Dan, if you want to be saved, you have got to get in the Word of God and understand that you've got to do what the Word of God said. It's not dependent on the preacher, it's not dependent on wh- how much wishing and wanting. and oh I want it to be right. I wanted I want S- Sister Dana, I wanted to give you uh, I wanted to give you black, and I did the best I could. but I, I, I wanted. I had good intention, but I couldn't do it. And so because I did the best I could, there's a couple people in here wanting to give me a pass. But we've got to get in the Word of God and stop judging the idea of salvation on our preferences. On what we like, on what we prefer, or on who we prefer. And understand that there is an accountability for our actions. My inability does not relieve accountability. I'm going to say it one more time because it's tweetable. My inability does not relieve me from the law of accountability. I am accountable for my actions. Well, I don't like doing that. I don't like being this way, but that's just the way I am. Then you are excusing your actions. We must hold ourselves accountable for our action. You will never wish your way to salvation. You can want your way to salvation, wish, intend, whatever you want to do. I've, I've had people say, well, I didn't mean to hurt you. Then stop with the same action over and over again. Don't tell you, brother, I'm sorry for what I did. I didn't mean to hurt you. And then keep doing the same thing over again. Somewhere somebody's got to get accountable and realize if I'm hurting my brother with my action, I've got to hold myself accountable for my action, not my intent that I didn't mean to hurt my brother. My intent was I did not mean to upset my wife by giving her a lost paper. And she just wrote on the backside doghouse I have no idea what I'm teaching about. I just, I need to close up shop and go home right now. So she's holding me accountable for my actions. Because it does matter how we live. It matters how we live. How we are living our life is more important than Well, I meant, I meant to live my life well. I didn't mean to cuss somebody out. It just kind of slipped. You ever heard people say that? I didn't mean to say that. It just slipped. No, it didn't. The abundance of the heart. Mouth spoke. You need to get that out of your heart. You spoke it because it's in your heart. You said it because it's there. You got to get it out of your heart. You can't, it's not your intention is not going to save you. You've got to be held accountable for your actions. It does matter how you live your life, and it does matter how we act. We are how we act. You know why we think some people are fun? Because they act fun. You know how we think some people have a bad attitude cuz they act like they have a bad attitude their facial expression says bad attitude their body gesture their body language says bad attitude their gestures say bad attitude the way they walk says bad attitude the way they respond or don't respond says bad attitude they're speaking and everything they're doing and so we can say well that's just the way they are They don't have a bad attitude. No, they have a bad attitude. The spirit of this age says, give them a pass. Don't make them live according to the word of God. Give them a pass because they got up on the wrong side of the bed today. Now I'm about to meddle a little bit. When little Johnny and little Susie wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you give them a pass driving them to school on Tuesday morning and say, well, you just had a bad day and he just had a bad day. I'm sorry. He had a bad day. What we are doing is we are training up a child to learn that we will excuse a bad attitude. Oh, I'm going to meddle a little bit tonight. We've got to be held accountable for our actions. Let he who stole steal no more. Well, he didn't mean to steal that. He didn't mean to steal that. He, he, just wanted it, he just wanted it to play with. He didn't have one. Judge, would you please let little Johnny off the hook? He didn't mean to steal that car. He, he he's just needing to get a ride over to his friends. It started with a piece of bubble gum and ended up with Something else at Walmart, and the next thing you know, he's still in a car. And and if we're not careful, we'll be here saying, well, would you please excuse him because I don't think he really meant to. It's not really his fault. He was raised up on the wrong side of the tracks. Y'all aren't going to help me tonight. We have to start holding our children accountable at a young age if we want them to grow up understanding that everything that we do, we must have accountability attached to it. I had a couple of bad teachers through school, but more times than not, I went home when I didn't do good on a test and blamed it on a teacher when I didn't study. And by the time I was about 6th or 7th grade, I knew just the right things to say to get my mama real upset at the teacher. And the focus came off of me. See, the kids aren't in here tonight, so I can be honest with you and tell you exactly the truth. I knew exactly what to say to get mama's attention off of me and get it on the teacher because I could say the right things about the teacher and she'd get upset at the teacher and be ready to go to the school and let the teacher have it because I failed a test that I didn't study for. We all can fall prey to it real easy. I'm talking about accountability of action. And I'm not talking about failing tests in school tonight, but I'm talking about our obedience to the Word of God. We've got to hold ourselves accountable and not look for ways to get around it. You know why at the beginning of the year we we promote a fast and we promote a fast together? The reason is is because it's easy for us to, to fast together, to encourage one another together, and to hold one another accountable together. Well, I lost half the train right there, just disconnected. So there's a reason that we pray together and that we fast together because we are encouraging one another to pray. We call prayer meeting, we come here together. It's easy for us to pray three minutes at home and call it a night and go to bed. But when we come together for prayer, we'll discipline ourselves a little bit because we know we're together with other people and we'll pray a little more. It's easier if we call a fast together because we know the rest of the church is fasting and I don't want to be the weak link and I don't want to be the one that doesn't fast and so I, I'm not going to be responsible for, a, for, for, for the revival not happening so I, I'm going to participate and plus we're encouraging one another. See, we're holding one another accountable. So our actions and our words must be aligned. That word is integrity, when our actions and our words are aligned. If our actions are corrupt, we're corrupt. If our conversations are corrupt, we're we're corrupt. So the Scripture teaches us that we are to guard our actions because people will see our actions and they will respond according to our actions. This is why accountability of actions is so very important. Matthew chapter 5 And verse number 16, I'm going to read here in just a moment. Matthew 5 verse 16, the scripture teaches that we have to guard our actions because people are looking at our actions and their response is because of how we're acting. This is why we must be accountable for our actions. Matthew chapter 5 verse number 16, here we go. Read it out loud with me now. Let your light so shine before I don't care what people think about me. Is that biblical? I don't really care what people have to say about me. Is that biblical? That's the spirit of this age. I don't care what they think about me. Is that biblical? It's the spirit of this age. Let your light shine in a manner let your light shine forth. Let your life be lived in a way that people see your good works. <coughs> and what does those what do those good works do to the people that see them? It makes them want to glorify. The Father which is in heaven. That's why the church must not succumb to the ideology that it doesn't matter what our reputation is. It doesn't matter what people think about us. It doesn't matter what my neighbor thinks. Their kid kicked a ball over in my yard. I had a right to go out and yell at them. Is that letting your light? Show forth that people see your good works. What you ought to do is walk out in the backyard and pick it up and hand it to them and tell them to have fun. And when they apologize for it landing in the backyard, say, don't worry about it. If it ever lands in the backyard again, there's the gate right there. Don't let the dog out. Come in and get it. Have fun. Let your light show forth in a manner that people see your good works. I think I'm in the Word of God tonight when I tell you... if your brother needs a ask for a ask for a scarf, don't just give him a scarf, but give him your coat also. If your neighbor asks for a cup of milk, why don't you just go ahead and give them the whole half gallon? Am I meddling too much tonight? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. Now there's a fine line here because some of that. Some of this, you know, some of us now we we live in a in a social media digital society that everybody immediately, you know, they want to go feed the poor, but the whole time they're feeding the poor, they've got a camera over here wanting to take a snapshot of the, the poor person that they're feeding so that they can post it on social media. Look, I gave this man the rest of the drink that I didn't want. Now let me receive all the credit and glory for it. The scripture said, Do it unto them. As you are doing it unto the Father which is in heaven. And when you do it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. Our actions do matter. Doing and action is one and the same. When you do it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. The Lord is saying when your actions toward those who are less fortunate... When you you have proper actions toward those that are less fortunate, you are having proper actions toward your Father which is in heaven. The way you treat, how can you say that I love my neighbor when you really, that you love God whom you haven't seen, when you hate your neighbor whom you have seen? If you can't love your neighbor as yourself, I think I'm in a thread of scripture here. If you can't love your neighbor As your own self, if you can't be kind to your neighbor, how are you going to hate your neighbor and say, I love God? Because if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. That's what he's saying. Your actions matter. You are proving your love toward God through your actions. And so we have to be held accountable for our actions, we have to care. And I'm going to go a little step further and tell you the world will hold you accountable. It matters. I had a meeting with our board of trustees a few days ago, and we were discussing a matter. And one of the greatest concerns is what is the appearance of this to the community? What does people, how what does this speak to the community? How we move forward depends on we, we, we've got to be very careful. I appreciate a conscientious board that cares about the reputation of this church. It matters what people think about this church. When I go in town, I want, people, I want to proudly say, when they say, I, I, I walked into a restaurant last week on Thursday or Friday morning, I walked into a restaurant, ran into a man I hadn't seen in a while. It was early morning, my brother was already at the restaurant and I was walking in the door. I'm sorry, I was there early before my brother got there. And I, I was walking in early. And I walked in, walked in the restaurant, looked around, didn't see my brother anywhere. So I walked out to make a phone call. I'm standing out on the front porch. And there were two men walked up. One of the men I knew, uh, and uh, Mr. Hale. And uh, I saw him. And we started talking a little bit. His friend walked out with him. And uh, he, he just walks out. And the first word's out of his mouth. You must be a preacher. Kind of turned around and looked at him. He said, I can spot you a mile off. You look just like a preacher. Are you a preacher? I said, yes, sir, I am. He's given giving me a hard time. And then he finally said, no, I knew who you were. I know your church out there. He introduced himself, told me who he was. And I was, was kind of like, thank God that he didn't say, you look like a criminal. I know your church out there. <laughs> it matters what people think of you, and it, it. We must we must be accountable for our actions and for our reputation because the world will hold you accountable for your actions. So the spirit of this age promotes attachments to the world. The spirit of this age promotes attachments to the world. They want us to be more attached to the world when the Bible teaches us love not the world, neither the things that we can become attached to that are in the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are, somebody say it loud with me, neither the things that are in the world, for if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But the world says, no, 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 no. You're a bunch of overzealous Christians. You're supposed to love the world. Love the things that are in the world. Love the pleasures of the world. Get so attached to money and get so attached to houses and land and cars and things. Get so attached to them that that's where your joy comes from. Weak-minded Christians are the ones that need God. Get attached to the world. Get something tangible in the world. The Bible says that the world's going to burn with a fervent heat and all the things that are in the world will all disappear. But it is only the things that we have done for eternity that are going to last. I know, I know that some think they're going to take it with them, but you're not, you're not going to take it with you. Somebody, I think Brother Danny was talking to me the other day about a funeral. They work at the funeral home uh, part time, so it's not for money. They do it for an outlet in the community. i Have met a lot of people, ministered to a lot of families. It's kind of an outreach for he and Sister Cheryl, and they, they, they're involved. And he was telling me about, in, in his words, he said, he said I've never been so embarrassed at the end. He said the family was looting the body. That was the way he said it. They were looting the body. He said they're. Everything, you know, they want to have them all dressed up, but they want that tie and they want those rings and they want those, it's all right, it's all right, whatever, that's right. But my point is, he ain't taking none of it with him anyway. They may as well take it. Because it's just going to lay in that ground. He ain't taking it anywhere with him. You could take all the money in the world and stuff the coffin with all the money in the world, but he isn't taking it anywhere with him. We can go all the way back to ancient Egypt where we have proof that the kings that built pyramids, we talk about the three great pyramids, but there's pyramids all over Egypt and in other parts of the world. They were tombs, that's what they were, of wealthy Kings and people in high places, and they built these pyramids with tunnels going in, and they were elaborate. I went to Egypt and went in one, and they have museums with all the things that they looted out of the, king wasn't thinking that there was going to be a society that would break into his tomb and take it all, put it in museums for people to walk by and look at, and we felt all right with that. And so we walk through and look at all the wealth and gold and they talk about the millions and billions of dollars worth of items that are in this museum that was taken out of this, out of this pyramid and that pyramid and all the things. And, but see in their, in their ideology, they thought that they could lay up things for the future and for their next life. And so they took money and gold with them and all the things that they were going to take with them to the next life. And 2,000 years passes plus. And those bones are still there. And they aren't taking it with them. They aren't going to take it with them. But I'm going to tell you some things you're going to take with you. It isn't going to be your money. It isn't going to be the things of this world. That's why the Bible tells us. Listen, it's going to be. You're just going to get frustrated. Here's what. Here's what the the, the wise Solomon said. He said everything. Everything, is vanity, and vexation of spirit. Everything in the world, it lead. It's vanity, and vex. And leads to vexation of spirit. You want more vanity. And when you get more, you're going to find somebody that has more to you, and that vexes your spirit. And so you're going to work harder to get more, and when you get there, you're going to find people that have more than you, and it's going to lead to vexation of spirit. And it's going to happen over and over and over again. And so the wise Solomon turns around and says, Love the wife of of your youth and have a whole quiver full of arrows. How many of you know what he was talking about? Have, Have a good family. That's what life's about. He said, love God and love your family. Love your fellow man. Don't get attached to the things of this world because they're not going to bring the fulfillment. They're not going to bring the joy. But the world, the world is saying, get attached to the things of the world. Get more, gain more, be more. Let your light, let your name shine in lights. That's that's what's going to bring fulfillment. But I'm going to tell you, that it's not going to bring fulfillment. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the other things. Are going to be added unto you, and the world's going to look at you and say, "Oh, that's what I really want." And when you're and when you're old and gray, and when you get near the end of life, you're not you're never going to look back and say, "Oh, I wish I'd have worked harder and had more and 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 saved more." But you're going to say, "I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have served God at a younger age. I wish I'd have been more diligent about reaching the lost." Those are the things that are going to matter most. Those are the things that will matter most. So the spirit of this age promotes attachments to the world. So we have to be careful with the affections toward the things of this world. John 1, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2. Or I could say it as the president said it in his early days. 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Can I read them again? The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But then verse 17 explains the whole reason why. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Discussion discussion in the office today. Sister Cheryl Sister Chelsea talking about the next generation. They're saying that the generation coming is going to live shorter. Sister Cheryl was attaching it to the message I preached last week. Because we've lost honor. The Lord promised us 70, but we're in a generation that's living plus 90s plus, but they're saying that our kids, for whatever reason and however they know, they're saying it's going to live shorter. And so she's attaching it with questions of is it because we've lost honor that thy days may be long upon the earth? And so therefore their days are shortened. Good point, good question. A good good something that really causes me to really causes me to question. Where we are. But. He that doeth the will. Of the Father. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eye. The pride of life. And the world passes away. And the lust thereof is going to pass away. But. He that doeth the will of the Father is going to live forever. It's not this world, but it's in that which is to come. He's going to live forever. What men are looking for you, can look for, you can look for the fountain of youth. You can try every way in the world to make the skin look beautiful and to live as healthy and long as possible. But this flesh someday, if God tarries, is going to die. It's going to go by way of the grave. But he that doeth the will of the Father is going to abide forever. That means our priorities cannot be that the spirit of this age tells us worry about how you look. Worry about about living as long as you can here and having as much here. But the Bible says worry about doing the will of the Father because you're going to live forever by doing the will of the Father. Let me move along. Attachments to this world, money, power, individual significance. We all struggle with these things. He categorizes sin in the text, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Attaches all those things together. But then the Apostle Paul goes on. He he comes together. And he says in Romans chapter 7 verse 18, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. In me is no good thing. So if I start seeking the world for my goodness and seeking the world for my fulfillment, in me already is no good thing. And the Bible tells me that the things that are in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. And those things are not going to bring the significance that I'm looking for. So I'm already broken and I'm looking to things that are destined to never bring success. I am destined to fail. But when I look at my weakness and my frailty and say I can't do it on my own, but I need the salvation of God in my life, and I begin to do the will of the Father, now I'm setting myself up for eternal life. So Paul goes on to say there is a way to fix our ongoing issues. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'll let him get that on the screen. I want you to read this one aloud with me. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, that's you, and you, and you, and you, and you, that's you. I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself, your bodies, A living sacrifice. The world don't want to talk about sacrifice. The world doesn't want to talk about what they they want to complain about what we give up. I was telling somebody I was at my son's wedding the other day, and we had guests there, people that we, people from society there, and somebody asked me, "Who's that that your wife's talking to?" And I. Was describing them and explaining them. And I said, Oh yeah, she loves the church. She's been, she's been to church, she's been with my wife, gone to conferences with my wife. Wonderful lady, sweet lady. And she loves the church. But there's one problem. She's not willing to give up this world. She said, if it wasn't for the few little things that that's taught at your church, I I'd probably be a member there. And somebody says, Well, Pastor, what you need to do is quit teaching those things. You need to quit teaching separation from the world. Then we can get all of society here and we do it. Now what we start doing is telling them it's all right to be attached to the things of the world. It's all right to get your affections on the things of this world. Be more concerned about how I look and how, how it makes me feel than it is to get my focus on eternal life. They don't want to talk about sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. I commend you... Holiness loving people that get up every day and live in a society that can look down their noses at you because of your holiness and because of your separation from the world when you say I would rather please God than please man. Oh I feel the Holy Ghost in this teaching tonight. I commend you. You've got your focus on the right things. You've got your focus on eternal life, not your focus on what's going to make me popular here and what's going to get me attention here. I want to get the attention of heaven. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God's not unreasonable because with every thing that he asks of you, it comes with a reward. It comes with a reward. Let me wrap this up. I'm just going to take a few minutes and talk to you about the accountability of our conversation. The words that proceed from my mouth. Our words reveal the purity or the corruption of our heart. I'm to talk about the accountability of our conversation. Matthew chapter 12, O generation of vipers, verse 34. Matthew 12, 34. O generations of vipers, how can ye be an evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh a good man out of the good treasure. Of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. This is what I was talking to you about earlier. You can't say, well, I didn't mean to, but it just slipped out. No, 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 it's an evil heart. That's what the Bible said. I didn't say it. Out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth good things. Out of an evil treasure, evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. That's what the Bible says. I didn't say it. The Lord said it. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof. That sounds like you were being held accountable. The Lord is holding you accountable. For everything that proceeds out of your mouth. For every idle word, every evil word, filthy talk, inappropriate language, angry and verbal outbursts, cussing, screaming. Every idle word, you're going to give an account. The Lord is declaring it matters what comes out of your mouth. I've already talked about men holding you accountable when they hear you talk like that. Today you're cussing somebody out. Tomorrow you're professing to be a Christian. Today you're telling dirty jokes at the water fountain. And tomorrow you're inviting them to Sunday service. Accountability. God said you're going to give an account. He's paying attention. Oh, We want to talk about a lot of other things that thrill our heart, make us want to dance and shout and run the aisles. But the Lord is saying there's some things the world is going to tell you. It's all right, you intend you had good intentions. But the Lord's saying your good intentions is not going to do you any good because I'm giving an account. I'm going to make you give an account for every word that you speak. Every evil word you're going to give an account because these things reveal the condition of the heart. Well, I know I probably shouldn't have said it. You're right. No excuse needed. You, you shouldn't have said it. Not probably. Because you're a child of God. We don't talk like we, lo- we used to talk. Because he made a difference. We don't walk like we used to walk. Because he made a difference. So we have to guard our words and our actions. The spirit of the sage says, ah, it's no big deal It was just a joke. It's just a joke. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to wrap up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15 if you're taking notes. Verse 33. Be not deceived. Oh, pastor, it's just a joke. I didn't really mean that. I didn't mean nothing by it. I know I shouldn't have said it. I didn't mean anything by it. Be not deceived. Evil communications. Corrupt good manners. Oh, well, I'm a good person. I just said that. No, 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 no. You know what the Bible says? Evil talk will mess up your good actions. Because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaking. Oh, I didn't mean nothing by it. Of course you did. The Bible said as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you're already having a decay everywhere else in your life. Because evil communications... Corrupt good manners. If our home and our children are allowed to use slang and words they shouldn't say and throw out all, and then we expect them to have good manners, it isn't going to happen because the communication of the mouth and the action of our manners are connected. Oh, am I meddling too much tonight? All types of evil communication are condemned in Scripture. Some evil communication is even equated with witchcraft. That's scary. Gossiping, tailbearing, fault-finding, and slander are all connected to witchcraft. That's why it matters what's coming out of our mouth. So we've got to be held accountable to our words. I want my wife to hold me accountable for my words. If I say things I shouldn't say, I I give her permission to remind me, hey, I should not hear that come out of your mouth. I've heard her on more than one occasion. My boys have never had a filthy mouth, but I've heard them get borderline and say things they ought to not say and use some slang word that we don't use in our house. And on many, many more occasions than what I could even begin to imagine, I've heard my wife say, hey, 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 stop that right now. You're not going to talk like that. We don't use that word. Oh, she's just a funny dud. But she may be sometimes. (laughs) Not really. But if we don't put a correction now, and we allow it now, then the manners follow. And then they grow up saying, it was all right, I did it when I was a kid. My mama didn't say anything about it, so it must be all right. And then their kids are going to take it to the next level, and before long, where we're going to be as a society, where we are, it's the spirit of the age. It's how we got to where we are. It's how we got to this point in society. Oh, it was cute. Let's take a YouTube video of that little three-year-old cussing and laugh at it and think it's funny. It's not funny. Evil communications is going to corrupt good manners. And the Lord talks to us very heavy about words, particularly intentional words, such as gossip and tailbearing and fault-finding and slander. He says that's a sin like witchcraft. He says it's an abomination. Wow. God judges it harshly. He's saying I'll judge that more harshly. I've heard people say all my life, well sin is sin. There's no big sin and little sin. That's not in the scripture. Oh, I'm messing with some of you now. That's not in the scripture. The Bible doesn't say there's no big sin and little sin. There's some sin that the Lord said that is an abomination. Meaning I'll judge it swiftly, quickly, and strongly. I hate that, even more. he hates all sin, but he said there's some sins I hate more than others. So the spirit of the age promotes rebellion. They promote it. It's all right. Look at the way society is. I mentioned it last week lord i I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to be and wouldn't want any of my family to be police officers in this day. They've lost the ability to to even Police they have to walk around with vest on because somebody's going to shoot at them when they aren't even looking. I'm not saying they're all perfect and there's not corruption there in certain places, in certain segments, but it's the spirit of the age that promotes rebellion. It doesn't matter what an authority says. It does, it does it's not for me. And you can see it's so prevalent. if we're not careful, it moves into the church. You can put up a sign and say, Don't walk here. Some people walk up and they're like, Well, that's right where I'm gonna walk. It's the spirit of rebellion. And people laugh at it and think it's cute and think it's funny. It doesn't matter what the preacher says, it doesn't matter what the pastor says. It doesn't matter. I had good intentions. I was well meaning. I didn't really mean anything by it. It's the spirit of the age. It's the spirit of the age. I'm done. We must recognize our need for accountability. Accountability cannot be forced on us. I cannot force accountability in your life, and you can't force accountability in my life. Accountability has got to be a mindset that says, I don't want to fail. We have some young adults in here tonight. You need accountability in your life. You need accountability partners in your life every one of us need to need to be held accountable by somebody i'm the pastor of this church i need to be held accountable i have a board of trustees i'm held accountable they have access to me access to my actions access to financial records access people have access because i don't want It ever to be said. I make certain decisions in the church. There's some things I feel comfortable doing. Some things I call a board meeting, get together, and say, you men are going to make this decision. I'm not going to because I don't want it to be said that I'm just a loose cannon out here making a decision on my own. None of us are above accountability. I have people in my life that have veto power, that have the ability to call me and say, no, bad idea, wrong move, don't do that. And I have to submit to that, not because... Somebody told me I have to but because I called them and said, I'm accountable to you. You have veto power in my life. If you ever need to speak a word to me, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to explain to you all my reasoning why. You, I am accountable to you, every one of us, regardless of age. Whether you're 20-something or whether you're 70 or 80-something, we all need accountability in our life. Because accountability will bring correction before it gets out of hand. God wants us to be saved. Your pastor wants you to be saved. The Bible is one of the greatest levels of accountability you can ever have. Instead of reading through the pages saying, well, I'm almost there and that's good enough. We need to read through the pages and see us in the mirror of God's word. We need to put accountability partners in our life. If you don't have accountability partner, I want to encourage you, get somebody that you can be accountable to, truly accountable to, that you can answer to. If you struggle with sin nature in your life, there are certain things you struggle with, whether it's attitude, words, actions, addictions. Get an accountability partner, two or three if you need to. Have people that call you every day. Be honest about it. If you're serious about living for God and breaking those kind of habits and habitual sins in your life, get accountability in your life. It's one of the greatest things you can do. It can't be because your, your wife or your husband tells you you have to, but when you submit, because there's power in submission, when you submit to the will of God, when you submit to accountability, when you submit to the Word of God, when you submit to God's authority, you are setting yourself up to be saved in the end, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then we can be rest. We can we can rest assured that everything is going to be added into our life. God bless you tonight. Stand with me. Thank you. I went long tonight. Thank you for giving me your time. God bless you so very much. We love you. Be prayerful this week of those that we prayed for. On our prayer request list, continue to pray this week. We look forward to a great time.